0: As your partner in patient care, Angiodynamics is proud to support the Association for Vascular Access. Angiodynamics offers products that may reduce procedure complications and improve quality of care, including the BioFlow PIC featuring Endexo technology, which is more resistant to thrombus accumulation than standard catheters based on in vitro testing, which does not necessarily predict clinical performance. Visit angiodynamics.com to learn more and for important risk information. Angiodynamics and Bioflow are trademarks and/or registered trademarks of Angiodynamics Inc., an affiliate or subsidiary. All other trademarks are property of their respective owners.
1: Welcome, everyone, back to the I Save That podcast. This episode is focused entirely on the pediatric position paper recently published by the Association for Vascular Access. And the title of that position paper is Minimum Education and Training for Pediatric and Neonatal IV Insertion for All Clinicians. And joining AVA Director of Clinical Education, Judy Thompson, and I on the eyesight of that podcast are two of the authors of that paper, Darcy Dolman, who works at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and Mary Beth Davis from the University of Iowa Children's Hospital System. Ladies, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to talk to you, and, and thank you for joining us to chat about the position paper.
2: Thanks, Eric. Thanks so much. Thank Hi. you. Mary Beth and Darcy, can't can't wait to talk to you about this paper. Long time coming. I'm super excited to have this released. Mary Beth, can you tell us a little bit about where it started?
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm Mary Beth Davis. I am a pediatric vascular access clinician at University of Iowa, and I have been a nurse for about 14-ish years now and recognized along with working with our membership that learning skills on how to start IVs in pediatric patients is not um, an easy skill and based on that um, level of training you need kind of running right out of the gate we recognized as an association that we really needed to um, help guide clinicians and how you train your peers or onboarding staff and how to not only successfully start an IV in a neonatal patient or a pediatric patient but how important um, supporting that patient is and that it is not acceptable to um, poke a child without having some Pediatric neonatal specific level of training that includes distraction and um, pain and comfort for children.
2: Thanks, thanks. And the three authors on this paper, you two ladies and Steph Pitts, I mean, we're fortunate because you guys are leaders in the world in vascular access for pediatrics. So who better than to write this paper? Darcy, can you add some um, more information about the paper?
4: Sure, definitely. So, also thinking about our pediatric patient, they're everywhere, even in smaller um, counties or smaller cities. So, thinking about maybe a clinic, a local emergency department having pediatric patients. So, it might be a hospital that's mostly seeing adult patients. So, seeing a toddler or a patient who's five or six might, might be very challenging. So, and looking at the competency um, for starting any IV catheter, looking at the management of um, securing it, dressing it, I think is really key for us in looking at our pediatric patients.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I know you guys all worked in tandem together, you and Steph Pitts, who couldn't be here today, unfortunately. But this paper is really well written. And it's super easy to follow, page long, and it has a great checklist along with it. So I think the inclusion of the checklist was was vital to really help people. So let's talk a little bit about that. Darcy, I know you were a key in putting that together.
4: How can clinicians use that? So looking at the checklist, this is really looking at competencies um, with the key uh, factors for IV therapy. And some of the important parts that we felt was um, important was looking at the pain management, such as numbing cream, um, a vapor coolant spray, the jet um, injection. Also, looking at the folding um, techniques, looking at our visual our visualization technology, such as ultrasound, um, for placing any IV catheter. Um, also looking at the securement and dressing, because as usual, our patients are very active So making sure that that catheter is secured. And then looking at the documentation, and then also the complications, so looking at it from the very start and um, throughout therapy. I, I can't
2: wait to see this go out into the world and start being implemented, because Mary Beth, I know we're all on the same Facebook group for all us vascular access kind of geeks, so to speak. But we hear all the time about these people that are adult practitioners. And all of a sudden they say, okay, my my hospital says I'm doing peds now. Gosh, it's a different world. As you guys always say, they're not just little adults. So how do you see this implemented? Yeah, so
3: what I think um, an adult clinician doesn't always appreciate is that, yes, you're going to be accessing a smaller vessel, but um, the child's also part of a family unit, so you often have three patients instead of one and um you're approaching that child you know in the context of them being with a parent who's scared and concerned about you know why their child is in the hospital or um is needing to have iv therapy and you have a group of patients that you know are well seasoned have have chronic medical conditions that the parents walking in they're they're coaching everyone you know they're the experts and they know exactly what to do and then you have you know the the flip side of maybe a patient with a new diagnosis or a a patient who is is injured and in for a short amount of time and the vascular access nurse coming in to initiate that IV is often the first point of contact for that hospitalization, you know? Like, what does every doctor order IV labs? And so, um, you know, often with a family-based approach, nurse walks in and says, okay, what do you want for this IV? What do you expect? And the parent might say, I don't know, (laughs) because they don't know, because maybe they've, you know, only had the one IV they had to have the child. So um in that case we wanted to develop a tool that anyone could use that would be like okay you may not know this might be this child's first iv ever in their entire life and this is the the minimum what we would expect for you to offer and to really be the advocate for that child because oftentimes the parents um, aren't aren't able to to always be the expert or be the voice of what will really help that child, or they don't even know numbing cream exists, or they don't know that there's a way that you can distract and support a child that they really don't have that fear or pain. Um, it's, it's more than just one quick poke and we'll be over it, because when, the, when those pokes add up, um, the child isn't gonna be over it. So it's just really to start, um, to set the nurse or clinician up for success is really a good purpose of what we hope that this position paper will help do.
2: I think it will. I think it will and there there's some great studies out there and I know Dr. Um, Baxter has done a lot of research and work on the trauma that needle sticks do to kids and what happens down the road. So Darcy, I know you can talk to that too um, that once if we poke patients and poke patients especially as they're young, they become needle phobic as adults.
4: Yes, they definitely do and also too not even the actual poke that's also holding down down um, any patient. so i think there's excellent ways for um, looking at um, the patient maybe at neonates or an infant that were you were using some bundling and um, distraction versus that there's multiple people just holding down any patient so um, as patients are getting older they're very much traumatized in case they were maybe a toddler, somebody who's a school-age patient that had multiple pokes, or it was very um, traumatic by having by having multiple people be holding down any younger patient.
2: Yeah, that would be frightening for anybody. I think. I mean, I yeah, an adult. It's like, wow, this is. Hadn't thought about it that way. That yeah, um,
4: and go ahead, please. No, I am going to say too that this. Um, paper is really talking about the um, age group. So for younger patients, um, again, that we're using some bundling, the softer voices, um, having the parent present too is important. And then as patients are getting older, that you know, we have books or music or any lighted toys that the patient can be looking at. So I think that's really important for looking at that that actual room, that we're doing any um, venipuncture, that it's very, Soothing, and we have pro- we have appropriate people there that are doing some more um, developmental type distractions for the patient, or maybe we have a teenager that's very anxious. So then we're playing some music, or just talking about school
2: or sports. No, there's we haven't talked about them yet, but such a vital tool or tool is the wrong word, uh, an <laughs> asset for the team or child life specialists
4: mm-hmm. that.
2: I know adult clinicians don't think about right at the get go. And I've seen these child life specialists at work and they're phenomenal assets. And I, uh, gosh, I'm excited about this paper. I'm excited about Mm -hmm. what it could help in different, different settings. The PIV has become such a hot topic in our, in our world. It used to be everything central line and the Mm -hmm. occasional midline. And now the PIV being the thing that Ava's creating education on it right now. You we're writing position papers on it. It's just so prevalent in our world that the our little PIV was forgotten for a while, and now it's front and center. So this, pa- this paper of yours couldn't have come any any sooner. I think it's it's perfect. Closing thoughts for I'm going to ask both Mary Beth and Darcy. Uh, closing thoughts on this practice and how we can continue to improve. Mary Beth? I'm,
3: yeah, I am really glad that you mentioned Child Life Specialists because, of course, they are the expert. Like they, they are very well educated, trained, have lots of experience, and they've really led a lot of the um, research and evidence of distraction supporting children. Unfortunately, they're just not in the hospital 24 hours a day, and so the expectation really needs to be that anytime a child is going to get poked with a needle, that that somebody is supporting that child in in a way and that um, the clinician feels comfortable knowing whatever range of child, yes, these top two things are going to help me be successful um, in supporting the family and not only that, but successfully inserting the IV.
2: Thanks. And Darcy, let's get some closing thoughts from you as well.
4: Yes, I think. Child life is really key for us in um, looking at a patient, getting any labs, IVs, um, and or having a nurse um, be looking at um, distraction methods. And then I think just in closing, looking at mini magic too. So there's many patients getting multiple posts and to really be planning. So if that patient's getting maybe therapy for two weeks that we're thinking about a pick or a midline versus a Um, peripheral IV catheter that might last just, you know, a few days. So really looking at the mini magic guidelines too. So we're putting the right um, device in at the right time.
2: Perfect. Couldn't have said it any better. Ladies, thank you so much for your, your time today. And I'm excited about your paper. I'm sorry, Steph couldn't be here today, but I know she's busy doing other, other good stuff for our practice. You guys have a great holiday. I'm uh, so excited to talk to you, and I know we'll be hearing a lot more of you both for, uh, in the near future.
4: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah,
1: And just for, in closing, uh, those of you listening to this podcast and want to read the position paper, feel free to go to avainfo.org slash positionpapers. It's pretty easy to remember. And it will also be it is scheduled to be published in the spring 2021 issue of the Journal of the Association for Vascular Access due out sometime in March. So thank you again, ladies. And thanks everyone for listening.
0: As your partner in patient care, Angiodynamics is proud to support the Association for Vascular Access. Angiodynamics offers products that may reduce procedure complications and improve quality of care. Your Angiodynamics sales partner is ready to support you with products such as BioFlow PIC featuring Indexo technology which is more resistant to thrombus accumulation than standard catheters based on in vitro testing which does not necessarily predict clinical performance. MedComp picks, including pediatric sizes and midlines available in multiple kit configurations and introduction methods and the new C3Wave Tip Location System, an easy-to-use, app-based wireless ECG system that can eliminate the need for chest x-rays to determine tip location. Visit angiodynamics.com to learn more and for important risk information. Angiodynamics and BioFlow are trademarks and or registered trademarks of Angiodynamics Inc., an affiliate or subsidiary. C3WAVE is a trademark and or registered trademark of Angiodynamics, VALLC. All other trademarks are property of their respective owners.
1: And welcome back to the I Save That podcast. Judy and I are excited to welcome in Sherry Gillette, the Pediatric Vascular Access Coordinator at Gallisano Children's Hospital at the University of Rochester Medical Center, Sherry is here to chat with us briefly about her career in pediatric and neonatal vascular access and how the pediatric position paper recently published by the Association for Vascular Access that this whole entire episode revolves around can impact her practice. Sherry, welcome. How are you doing?
5: I'm great. Thank you. Hey, Sherry. It's great to talk to you today. I'm really happy to be here today for you guys. This is a really important topic and something I'm very passionate about.
2: Thank you, thank you for being here. So, you work in pediatrics and neonates. Have you
5: always? Uh yes, as a new grad, I started it actually at Strong in 1981. Um and joined the neonatal intensive care at that point um as a new as almost a new grad, I had about 6 months of pediatric experience prior to that. And uh came there as a wide-eyed new grad kind of mentality um, with a whole new world that was open to me. (laughs) I bet. I bet. So the process of
2: going from novice to expert. We all learned about theory in school, but this is a beautiful theory of novice to expert. How did you get from that new grad to where you are now as an expert in this
5: field? It's pretty. It's been a pretty long journey. Um, I remember the first year of, of being a brand new nurse. You're very task oriented and not really understanding the scope of everything that is going on and what is happening with your patients. And I was lucky enough to identify a senior, more senior staff member who truly mentored me um, in the process. This girl could hit hit a stone, hit a vein in a stone. Um, and she took me on, I asked her to take me under her wing and she did. And for probably six to nine months, anytime there was an opportunity to place an IV, she would mentor me, whether it was just through assessment or actually walking me through and talking me through technique. Um, And it was probably took about three years where I finally felt like I was very proficient. And over time, I worked in the NICU for 26 years, um, became that mentor for others, um, really developing that skill. That is wonderful. And a lot of people do learn that way through
2: mentorship. And hopefully we get that expert teaching our, our fledglings coming in. And that's a wonderful way to go. But we, we also need curricula that actually goes through. I think for the longest time it's our our PIV has been vastly ignored because it's just a PIV. And we didn't have specific training for it. And that's a whole new a whole nother episode. But today we are talking about the position paper about minimal competency which I'm so excited about because we have to get away from the the watch one, do one, teach one mentality because the background information is vital,
5: vital. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can. And to be honest with you, it wasn't until I um, became more involved in just vascular access in about 2017 and became aware of the Association for Vascular Access and really looking at literature and going to the conference and actually meeting other uh, experts where it really brought to home the education that's needed. It's not just the see one, do one, teach one. It's the physiology. It's the understanding of the whole scope of what you're doing. Um, And as the vascular access coordinator, Peripheral guiding a new staff member with peripheral insertion success, all comes down, you're right, to the foundation of the education and training. And we actually, I instituted a vascular access teaching um, day at our hospital, which in the last year has been put in on the back burner because of everything else that has been happening. But I developed a four-hour didactic and. then we did simulation and going through proper assessment where to place an ib staying away from the feet and those walkers staying away from that ac still have to convert the ed folks from that practice um and the feedback we've gotten from that program that we developed uh has been very very positive in bringing through catheter vessel ratio and understanding the whole concepts and talking about complications, your phlebitis and your extravasations. And I think that's where a lot of us have lacked in our education in supporting the staff. Um, So this statement coming out from Ava is instrumental in helping programs develop better at their institutions.
2: I agree, I agree. And even I know when I was learning, granted it was a little bit ago, but. They didn't talk about considering the infusate before I considered putting in the IV. And that's vital. We, we infuse so really nasty medications for the intima of the vein. And that's not
5: something we think about as, as
2: generalist, I think.
5: No, absolutely. We haven't considered that. And it's not only nursing, but our um, training physicians, don't have so much of that awareness of um, why. And I've had a lot of conversations recently with our pediatric pharmacists that didn't realize why we need to put in a different device for that medication. So there's a global need for for um, better standardization and understanding. Um, I'm really excited about this. I think this this will help me in my practice, especially with our nursing leadership and bringing how important these programs are for our staff to support their success. We're not going to keep people at the bedside if we can't give them enough support and education and training. And peripheral access, it it all comes down to success with understanding where to put that line, what size line to put in, but patient support and family support, um, and in educating our families. Um, with pain management, uh, child life is imperative in pediatrics. You have to bring them into the the whole picture because um, we can't be as successful without their support either. I agree.
2: Child life specialists are worth their weight in gold. They're amazing. The boy, they make everybody's job better, and they make the patient out
5: patient feel better, and the outcomes just phenomenally better. And and that's the the thing we need to focus on is improving our outcomes. Um, patient satisfaction is huge. I don't want a, a child to be crying when I come into the room. Um, I've had many experiences recently where you know I go in and I say, well, okay, what's the What has been done for pain management? And when a parent says to me, well, nothing, oh. I have to take a step back and say well here's what I can offer this is what I can you know we can talk about what's going to help your child get through this the best and not just your child but you emotionally as a parent Um, and they're like so relieved um, to have those options success rates are much higher and that's what I try to um, really um, focus on with staff is you have to encompass all these things to be successful. Um, and I think that's what this position paper really brings forward, is the understanding of of the patient populations and how to help them through a procedure.
2: Absolutely. You know, you were talking about the patient, um, the child crying when you come in the room. And I've had that happen with adults. If we don't care for our kiddos as they're growing up, we give them needle phobias. And as they grow up to be adults, Dr. Baxter, Amy Baxter, did a webinar for us and talked about the the prevalence of needle phobia in adults now. And, oh, my gosh, it scares me.
5: Well, I'm a prime example of a needle phobic adult. Me and too. <laughs> my, my teammates will, in everybody, every staff nurse at the hospital knows when it comes time for flu shots, somebody's got to be holding my hand because the the heart's racing, the palms are sweaty. It is a known fact. I am probably the most zealous person for pain management
3: because of related
5: experiences of pediatrics. But it's com it's common knowledge that uh when it's time for Sherry to get her who flu shut, somebody's going to hold her hand. I have since gotten
2: past it, but I know when I told my mom a while back when I Came into the specialty. She goes, You? You're scared to death of needles. I went, I know, but it's easier the other way around. Once you learn more about pain management, I believe it gets it's better. But I learned so much listening to Dr. Baxter about what the physiology and what the how that happened, that we have so many needle phobic adults. And it stems a lot to what we do to them as children. So this position paper has so many facets, and I think yes, it's going to affect the pediatric and neonate population initially. But things roll uphill, so to speak. When you as you age, this is going to help for adults
5: as well. Yeah, it's that downstream effect, and um, it's funny we we kind of joke as medical providers on who we want to take care of us. Should we be in the hospital as an adult? and uh i have my pediatric nursing list that those people will be taking care of me and one of the major factors is is that needle phobia what we do for patients um at our bedside they don't transcend so much to the adult world
2: and that breaks my heart i mean that's a whole nother topic for
5: us for another day (laughs) i don't know
2: why as children are 11 or 12 we don't think as much about their pain and once they turn 18, well, evidently pain doesn't matter anymore as well to, to many. And there's so many ways we can make this virtually painless. So Absolutely, I, I think that that's another topic we need to go into on another day because it, it's vitally important and that will change patients' experiences. Once we get vascular access specialists doing more of the pokes in the hospital and using more of these modalities that can make it virtually painless, oh, things will change. Outcomes will improve. People will smile more.
5: <laughs> and they'll come back. They yes, they will. They won't yes. be afraid to seek medical care when they need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
2: it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I, I thank you so
5: much for your time and your expertise and your passion in this practice. I've really enjoyed this. And I, I think this is such a huge foundation for where we can go um, looking at all those other factors. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. Be safe.
2: I know it's crazy out there right now, but uh, hopefully there's there's hope on the horizon we see. There sure is. And thanks
5: again. Thank you, again. Sherry. Thank Great you so much. You. Thank
1: you. You can see the entire AVA Network calendar on the AVA website. At www.AvaInfo.org, which is also where you can join Ava or donate to the Ava Foundation. Ava is all over social media. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music for our Android users. You can also find direct links to all episodes on each of these streaming services, by visiting avainfo.org slash podcast. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of, of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information we have presented. The essay of that podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine, as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast, or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in any part or in any form without prior written consent from the Association for Vascular Access.